take a minute and introduce our, our guest preacher this morning, and many of you already know the Reverend Karen Thistlethwaite because she was our speaker for Great Getaway a year ago, and she did such a great job that we wanted her to be our speaker for our women's retreat coming up the third weekend in October, October 18th through 20th. Karen has an amazing ability to be in the word and bring it alive and engage us, all of us, all ages. She has just taken a new position out at Portola Valley at Valley Presbyterian Church, and we're glad that she's local with her husband, Brian, and two kids. One was just up here, Sienna and Colin. So help me to welcome the Reverend Karen Thistlethwaite. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be worshiping with you here today. I think it's been about a year since we last saw each other at the great getaway, and there have been a lot of changes in my life, and I'm sure a lot of changes in your life as well. And please, during coffee hour, come up and talk to me about them. So one of the major changes um, in my life is a new position, and I also uh, have had transitions as far as two jobs since I've been last year and been ministering in three different states. And then, of course, it's school time. So the kids, Sienna, who is six, went back to first grade. And Colin, who is four, is doing his last year of preschool. And then, I didn't know this, but I walked in and there's this beautiful sanctuary. So that's been a change since I've been here. And then, of course, you have the new co-pastor model. And what I love about this model is that on a weekly or maybe even a daily basis, you get to see what it means for two amazingly gifted people to bring God glory by sharing and working together and through lifting each other up, lifting up God as well. But through all these changes, through all these things that have happened in your life and in my life, one thing has remained constant, and that is God's love for us. And I could say with absolute confidence that God loved us 14 months ago, some of us many, many, many years ago, right? God loves us today, and God loves us tomorrow. So it is no surprise that on a day like today, when we talk about 1 Corinthians 13, that love would come to mind. Now, maybe if you're sitting next to someone you love, they kind of squeezed your hand right now if they're more rambunctious, elbowed you in the ribs, because this was the scripture that was read at your wedding, or your parents' wedding, or your best friend's wedding. Who's heard the scripture at a wedding, right? If you Google wedding scriptures, this scripture is sure to come up. And... I love this scripture. I love the words in it, and it brings back fond memories for me as well. But before we delight in these holy words, let us pray. God of love and life, you have filled us with your love and have shown us how to love one another. Help us to hear these familiar words in new ways that we may be able to leave this place better able to love those whom you have called us to serve. Amen. So I first heard these words back in the early 90s when I served as a junior bridesmaid in my uncle's wedding. So for those of you who don't know what a junior bridesmaid is, a junior bridesmaid is when you already have a flower girl, it's my little sister, 
and, but you have another special little girl in your life who's not old enough to be a bridesmaid. And my mom, as the sister to the groom, was also in the wedding party. You can see her there with uh, my aunt. And as a churchgoer, she was asked to read a scripture. And I remember this because she read it with such clarity and passion that the words were able to seep into my heart. And they were these words that Kurt has already read for us this morning. Let's see if we can hear them again in new ways. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions to the poor, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Even today, I am still spellbound by these words, by the promises and lofty ideals they carry and call us to, not just as partners in marriage, but as friends, as family, perhaps even strangers. Even in secular weddings, these words have found meeting where people look to them as a set of best practices for how to treat one another. And to be honest, what family dynamic wouldn't be more improved by more patience or kindness? What sibling relationship would not benefit from less boasting or envy or rudeness? Friendship wouldn't maybe thrive just a little more if it didn't insist on its own way. As a mom of a four and a six-year-old, I am constantly hearing these sorts of complaints. Mommy, she's being rude, or mommy, I can do better than he can, right? And then in the classroom, these things happen too. Teachers have to balance helping each kid to feel special and loved just as they are by God with also taking turns. 
But then as adults, we don't really do any better, right? We look to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram feeds and we're constantly bombarded by messages of boastfulness or perhaps arrogance. There are even these messages where perhaps someone might seem like they're being more real, like they're being humble, but then in fact, they're just finding a way to glorify themselves. It's given a term, the humble brag. Maybe you've heard of this, right? You perhaps have heard of this one. Um, it goes like this. I just stepped on gum. Who spits gum on a red carpet? Right? That's the humble brag. Right? Or what about that song, My Way, sung by that beloved Rat Pack singer, Frank Sinatra, who tells his audience towards the end of his life he's had both ups and downs, but looking back, he is proud to say, I faced it all and I stood tall. Sing it with me. I did it my way, right? And while we certainly love old blue eyes, who doesn't, right? We all know what it feels like, the pain in fact, of living with someone who insists that everything is my way. So, which is why it's refreshing to hear about a different kind of love, a love that never ends, a love that never fails, a love that endures, one that is patient and kind and not selfish. And it's about this point in the sermon that Christian preachers will also point out that 1 Corinthians is not just about a love between two people, but reflects the love of God and all of us, right? Love is never held alone on oneself. Love always involves loving another. Love always links one another to oneself. The apostle points out in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, if someone loves God, that person is known by God. If someone experiences true love, they experience God's presence. In other words, love is a two-way street that provides a context of mutuality, of understanding and relatedness between each person and others, between God and people and believers and believers. It is in this context when we connect with one another that we experience God's love that we are able to bear, to endure, whatever comes our way. As the great um, author and New Testament professor J.P. Sampley explains, the love described in 1 Corinthians 13 is a love experienced as God's unshakable grasp on our lives. It is the source of our greatest security and gives us the freedom to actually be patient and kind and not insist on our own way. From this point of view, we see that God's love is the basis for our love for each other and that by leaning into God's love, we are able to show this sort of unconditional, surreal, superhuman kindness. As a pastor, you're often asked to officiate at two very important events. And anyone want to care to guess which two events these might be? Weddings and funerals, right? And we've already talked about sort of the quintessential wedding passage. Can anyone guess what the popular memorial passage is? 
anyone? Psalm 23. That's right. And it's not just Psalm 23. It's the King James version of Psalm 23, right? Because when someone is in that stage, they want to go back to those words they heard as a child, the ones that their mother might have whispered in their ear or to themselves during a long night of rocking them to sleep. They go like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Which got me thinking. I wonder what the King James Version has to say about 1 Corinthians 13, and was surprised to find the scripture come alive as never before. It goes like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity valueth not itself. It is not puffed up. Charity never faileth. Now, wait, charity? never faileth, I thought love never faileth, right? Or charity is long-suffering and kind. That to me was always love is patient and love is kind, which got me thinking again, what exactly is charity? According to the dictionary, you might remember that paper book you used to look up words in, right? Charity is described as generosity, helpfulness, especially toward the needy or suffering. It is aid specifically given to those in need. It is public provision or relief for the needy or a gift for public benevolent purposes. In short, charity is giving of our time and our talent and our treasure to others, but not just any type of giving, specifically giving to those who suffer. And while love is usually given to people we know or like or maybe even respect, charity is intended to show, be shown towards people we probably don't know, those we might not have a context to judge if they're even worthy of our love or not. And while love might be described as mutual, right? If I were to say, I love you, you would probably or hopefully reply, I love you too. Okay, I'm going to have to work on my love vibes here a little bit. Charity is given to someone who you probably don't know and therefore might not be able to give back. Or as we know, when you receive love when you're suffering, you might not be in a position to even give back. Charity is the kind of love described by Luke, a physician and follower of Jesus, who writes about how Jesus said this, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For while love might be described as something between two people, charity might be described as something between an individual and a stranger, or an individual and his or her community. 
Charity is love at its best. It is a sacrificial love, a love where the lover is the giver and what they receive in return is not important. So for the remainder of this message, I'd like to re-explore our scripture using the King James Version and look at how charity invites us to look outward, asking ourselves not just, do I love this person and therefore should I treat them in this way, but who in our community is in need? Who down the street might be suffering and therefore how can I connect with them through these verses? Starting with verse 1, we hear these beautiful words. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass. In other words, if I talk just for talking's sake, I am like a self-promoting drum, drowning out the cries of the needy and the suffering. And Paul continues, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding, and though I have all faith to move mountains, if I have not charity, I am nothing. In other words, if we have all these amazing talents, but we keep them to ourselves, if we use them just to glorify those we love, we're really nothing. Rather, the greatness comes in giving our talents away and showing them to people that we don't know who might not be able to repay us as we give our love to others. And then Paul continues again, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And here's where things start to get interesting, because in looking at the word charity, we already know we're supposed to give to the poor. So what is Paul really saying? I think he's asking us to dive just a little deeper and to embody this charity, not just as a one-time gift or a Christmas donation or a season of charity, right? But as to develop a spirit of charity. The dictionary also describes charity as benevolent goodwill or love towards all of humanity. And now we're sort of breaking open the who of who we're supposed to be charitable to. It's not just the suffering and the needy anymore, but all of humanity is to receive our charity and our love. This means being willing to suffer for others, to not envy what others have, to value others, even valuing others above oneself, to look out for others and to keep our cool even when we have been provoked to not think badly of others, nor to rejoice in an unequal system where some receive a lot, but others might not receive any. We are to instead actively seek the truth, the truth about others' needs and the truth about ourselves and perhaps our own overindulgence. This is a completely different kind of love. This is charity. For charity to rejoice in the truth means being open to seeing the pain and suffering of those around us, of getting real with what we have and what we have to give. Paul continues, charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. For Paul, charity is a part of life. 
It's as much a part of life as breathing, and it's not going away, nor is the need for it. For wrapped up in this charity is a certain belief and level of hope, belief that we can actually embody these scriptures and hope that we can overcome our own selfishness to be loving and generous to others. And then Paul starts to talk about how charity never faileth. Charity is loving and kind. It will never cease. It will endure. We see it now dimly, but then we will see it face to face. And here is where the rubber meets the road for Paul. For while I don't think any of us here or even if you're watching on live stream online would say charity is a bad thing, Paul wants to recognize that even at our best, even when we are in our most spirit of charity, we are still unable to see what charity looks like for God. That even though we might try and be charitable to others, we miss the mark because God's charity is perfect. It's all-encompassing. And so Paul encourages us by concluding with this sentence. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Here Paul is calling us to actively wait, to live in a spirit of faith and of hope and charity until we are able to be reunited with God more fully. So today, I invite you to encourage a spirit of charity in each other and with others. I invite you to, when you see someone living in the spirit that we have talked about today, or perhaps when you see yourself living in it, to just compliment them, to say, I so love how you are being kind, or that is a great attitude or spirit of generosity. And in by doing this, we will double the joy received. We will lift up the words of 1 Corinthians 13, and we will walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul and of Jesus Christ. Amen.